Hello and welcome to New Hope Chapel's online service. My name is Julie Coleman and I'm part of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel. This morning we're going to be covering the book of Philippians chapter 1 and verses 12 to 20. You know, one of my great childhood heroes was a man named Jim Elliott. You've probably heard of him. He was one of the five missionaries in 1957, I believe, that were uh, killed when they went into the jungle to reach an unreached people group, a tribe called the Akas. His call to go started long before that fateful day. He started in college with God calling him into the mission field and slowly God revealed to him that he was going to be going to this unreached people tribe. There were only about 300 in number at the time. So he and four other men banded together and they spent years of preparation learning as much of the language as they could from a woman who had escaped the tribe earlier on. They did all kinds of missionary prep work. They were going in as a linguistic team, and so they had to learn all of that. It took quite a bit of education and fundraising and all those things until finally they were ready to go. They went into the jungle, all five families. They built homes there, um, and they set up a radio station and did everything in preparation. They also did a lot of flybys when they finally located the tribe in the deep jungle, and they would send presents down on a rope uh, frequently to the people to let them know that they were their friends. And then finally the big day came and it was time to go and, and visit the tribe for the first time, meet face to face. And so the missionaries went and the five missionary wives stayed behind in their homes, anxious, wondering what was going to happen next. Well, they were supposed to make contact at 4.30 in the afternoon on the day that they landed and they never did. And so for a few days, the missionary wives hung by the radio, waiting, waiting, wondering what had happened to their husbands. And finally, they called in for help. Uh, the bodies were eventually found by a group of officials, military officials, floating in the river, all five dead, speared through by the Aka Indians, the people they had come to save. So people back home had to wonder, why did God allow this to happen? Their intents were pure, their preparation careful, their hearts focused on one thing to get this gospel to the group living in total isolation from the rest of the world. And in the space of minutes after all that, they were dead. How could the wives and children left behind be at peace with what had just happened? Probably none of you have left everything to go live in the jungle, but even in our comfortable life here in the U.S., there are times when our circumstances beg that same question. As far as we're concerned, we're doing everything right in service for the Lord, operating with a pure heart and intentions, yet things somehow have gone to worms. Why would God allow that? Doesn't he want us to promote his message? Why are we being stopped in our tracks how in this case can we see God is good? Well, if anyone in the Bible had a temptation to question God's goodness, it probably would have been Paul at the writing of this letter to the Philippians. He'd spent years traveling around the known world in his calling to spread the gospel. But now he was under house arrest, awaiting judgment by the Roman courts. People who didn't like Paul were taking advantage of his absence by preaching the gospel for personal gain maybe even to taunt him while he was down. If you look at his circumstances, things are looking mighty grim. 
Why was God allowing all these things when Paul had been so very faithful? Well, the answer lies in our selection today. We're starting in verse 12 in chapter 1 of the Philippians. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but also some from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Heavenly Father, we ask that you bless the reading of your word this morning and with your Holy Spirit, instruct us in the principles that we need to take away from this stirring passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we need to answer a few questions before we come to an understanding of what we just read. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances have turned out, well, what were Paul's circumstances? Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem while in the temple. He was accused of desecrating that holy place by allowing a Gentile in past the outer courts. He spent over two years in a Roman prison there in Israel and had two different hearings with Roman officials. It was the Romans' way of protecting Paul from the various plots among the Jews to do him in. Finally, Paul, as a Roman citizen, requested a hearing before the emperor. It was his right as a Roman citizen. So he was put on a boat to make a journey to Rome. It was a month-long journey, months-long journey, that included a scorpion bite that should have killed him and a shipwreck. Now, finally in Rome, Paul has had one hearing and is waiting for judgment. He's under house arrest, which might not seem so bad, but living life chained at all times to a soldier from the Praetorian Guard. So who were the Praetorian Guard? <clears throat> These soldiers were the elite, kind of how we might think of the Navy SEALs or the Army Rangers. They had political influence, and they were highly regarded in Rome. They would have had to take shifts of four to six hours, chained to this intense preacher. Can you imagine being chained to Paul? Do you think he told him the gospel message? I'm sure he didn't waste a minute of his proximity to a Roman's finest. Paul also had the freedom to welcome visitors into his home, so the guard would have been privy, that was chained to him, privy to many conversations between Paul and other believers. They would have seen Paul loving God with all his heart and loving others as himself. Spending that kind of time chained to such a committed believer would have been life-changing. And, according to Paul, their experience with him led them to believe. Word had spread throughout the Praetorian Guard and in the city itself. People were talking about this remarkable little man with a red-hot passion for the gospel message. 
If living in chains wasn't enough, there were Christians who were working against him. So we have to ask, who were the people preaching to vex Paul? He wrote, some are preaching Christ from envy and strife. Well, throughout Paul's ministry, there have been those who tried to discredit him. He wrote the Corinthians, For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? Paul writes strongly about those people, not because of pride or self-preservation. What matters to Paul, that is, if you can discredit the messenger, you will discredit the message. And his message is the gospel. He also reacts strongly to any teaching that perverts the gospel. We see a great example in what he wrote to the Galatians. If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So, Apparently, what these Roman preachers were preaching was consistent to Paul's gospel message because he gives no other indication in what he says. It seems that the preaching is sound because if it wasn't, Paul would not have stayed silent on that subject. They seem to be pro-Christ, but anti-Paul. Apparently, they're harboring resentment against Paul's huge success in bringing the gospel to the world. Maybe they even disagree with Paul on some doctrine or interpretation of scripture. The house churches of the city represented a wide variety of Christian outlook. Maybe they regarded themselves as followers of of some other leader, to whom in their eyes Paul was actually a rival. Maybe they're envious of Paul's record and prestige as a preacher of the gospel. Hoping to fill Paul with chagrin and frustration, we fail to realize how controversial a figure Paul was, even within the Christian fellowship. Now that he is in chains, they're taking advantage of his absence in the churches and are having some success of their own. They're trying to aggravate his burden and cause still more suffering and affliction against him as a prisoner in chains. But Paul is not so worried about their motivation. He looks past the personal hurt they're intending to do him to the message that's being spread. They are proclaiming Christ and that is okay with him. Well, how does Paul maintain such a positive attitude in such adverse conditions? Well, that question gets us back to the original question in this message. Why would a good God allow such adversity against a faithful servant? It might not look how Paul possibly pictured his stay in Rome, like being welcomed into various home churches or preaching on the streets to crowds as he did in other locations, but he can see that God is doing his thing. The gospel is getting out there into the city through an elite Gentile army battalion and through people who want to cause him harm. God is at work to bring the gospel to the empire and he's using unexpected ways to get that accomplished. What mattered to Paul was the content and not the identity of the preacher. You see, Paul has the ability to see the big picture. God is not limited to what he might view as the best way to do things. Paul knows he can be an unexpected God. He worked out his divine intentions through the death and resurrection of his son. No one saw that coming, especially not Paul. Now God is at work getting his gospels thread throughout the world. 
he can again choose the unexpected, a motley crew of disciples and the chief of sinners, Paul, whose earlier life included murdering those who followed Christ. Well, what does Paul know about the big picture? Well, he knew Isaiah 14, for the Lord have, has for the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it? And as for his outstretched hand, who can turn it back? He wrote Timothy, My gospel for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endured all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may obtain the salvation in which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. Paul served a God who was going to get things done. He rested in God's big picture. He looked past his chains, his hardship, his opponents trying to hurt him, knowing that in the end, God will win. He will achieve what he set out to do. He would do it in his time and in his unexpected ways. Paul was all about God and his big picture of his kingdom. He knows that he's in a place where God wishes him to be in fulfillment of his commission from Jesus. So Paul had the ability to see the big picture. Another thing that carried Paul through it all was that Paul was a man of a singular passion, Christ and his gospel. We see it in a prayer request that he wrote to the Thessalonians. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of God will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it also did with you. Everything is seen and done in the light of Christ, according to Paul. Jesus did everything necessary for us to be in a relationship with God. He paid for our sin on the cross and rose victorious over death so that we might live forever with him. Paul trusted in the all-sufficiency of Christ. Later in this letter in Philippians, he wrote, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So, Paul understood the big picture, he had a single-minded focus, and he understood discipleship as identifying with a suffering Savior. He wrote again to the Philippians that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He earlier had described it as, even if I've been poured out for you as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And of course, he wrote the Thessalonians who were undergoing persecution, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. God had revealed many things to Paul about his future. He knew that following Jesus was going to involve quite a bit of suffering. He did it anyway. Why? He had the same attitude as Peter and the other apostles after receiving the beating of their lives. Acts tells us, so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. 
Paul did not know what the outcome of his Roman hearing was going to be. He'd hoped to continue on bringing the gospel to the world, but no matter what, he knew his end. He would be delivered one way, released, or another through death. Suffering may have been a present situation, but glory awaited him in the end. It would be worth it all. So we get to the so what. How can Paul's attitude help me today? Paul was a man who knew how to think like a citizen in the kingdom of God. He wanted the Philippians to learn to think the same way. He wrote, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus instructed the disciples to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. As citizens of heaven, we are to be representatives of the kingdom to those who are still walking in darkness. We can learn from Paul's example how to respond when God does the unexpected. Well, no matter how you uh, appreciate or didn't appreciate Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, I do want to point out that it started with a very simple but profound sentence. It's not about you. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't matter. What it does mean is that God's plan for the world centers on one person, Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Colossians, He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Like Paul, we need to see everything in light of the bigger picture. From the beginning of time, the plan was that he would be sacrificed to take care of the sin problem even before the first sin. He would reign victorious over the whole earth, and his rule would be like none other. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. From the beginning, God had the entire course of history in his sights. He made promises thousands and thousands of years that he would keep, for he cannot lie. The story has been revealed. We already know how the book ends. As kingdom citizens, we must live in light of that plan. We must assume that everything that happens, including the unexpected, will be used by God to bring his plan to completion. Another thing Paul teaches is for us to be single-minded. We need to keep our focus on where it belongs. Jesus. He is our example. He has gone before us and awaits us at the finish line. Everything we do should be in light of what he means to us. As the writer of Hebrews expressed, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And finally, like Paul, we need to understand that a citizen of the kingdom of God identifies with a suffering savior. When unexpected suffering comes our way, we can be at peace because suffering has a purpose, or should I say several purposes. One, it establishes us to know our Savior better. Two, it's a refiner's fire in which God continues to bring us into the likeness of Christ. And three, it brings an opportunity to burn away the unimportant and focus on what matters. And First Peter tells us, He who has suffered in his body, is done with sin. Now, no one wants to suffer, but when those times do come, either through grief for a loss, illness, relationship challenges, whatever, we can greet them with the kingdom perspective. God will not waste one minute of our pain, 
It will all be to his glory one day. It will all be worth it. You know, in that Hebrews passage, it talks about a crowd of witnesses who are watching us cheering across that finish line. What would they be cheering? Keep going. It will be worth it. We must be ready to be poured out as a drink offering ministry for the sake of others and trust God to make it right. Remember those young missionaries who lost their lives in the cause of spreading the gospel? To many people, it seemed like such a waste. The church's brightest and faithful snuffed out before they could even reach their prime. But darkness would not win in the end. The news of the murder raced around the world. The missionary wives ended up on the cover of Life magazine. Thousands of people made a decision to go to unreached people groups and bring them the gospel. And for an unknown number of others, the missionary story was instrumental in making a commitment to Jesus Christ. I'm pretty sure Jim Elliott would have chosen to go to the office that day, even if he knew exactly what would happen. He wrote this quote long before he left for the field. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And the AUKUS did get reached. Nate Saint's sister, Rachel, and Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, went back and lived with the tribe for several years, translating their language into the gospel, and many were saved. We can face life with open hands, learning to both accept what seems to be good <clears throat> and also be willing to face a struggle when we think like a heavenly citizen. We can trust God. He has a big picture in mind. He has an agenda that no one should perish. He will use us, but not always in ways how we imagine. It may involve suffering, but we follow a suffering Savior, so we should not be surprised. But whatever happens ahead, we can be at peace and know the good guy is going to win. Let's pray. God, we ask your help to have our focus off of ourselves and always on the big picture. We want a single-minded focus, devotion to Jesus Christ. We want to follow in his footsteps, willing to suffer for the sake of your kingdom. Problem is, this all goes against our flesh. So we look to strengthen through your Holy Spirit and get peace in our hearts. We want to trust you in everything. We want to love you with all of our hearts and mind and strength and soul. We want to love neighbors as ourselves. Help us, God, to follow in these ways with hands wide open, ready to receive and ready to give up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.